is the theory of the Mobius. A twist in the fabric of space where time becomes a loop. Where time becomes a loop. Where time becomes a loop. Where time before 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 time becomes a loop. time before time becomes a loop. Reich, is that you? That was Time Becomes by Orbital, who we'll be talking about in this episode. We actually clipped that song back in our 69 Love Songs episode, but I somehow didn't notice that it was a sample of Michael Dorn as Lieutenant Worf in Star Trek The Next Generation. So yeah, I I decided to put it way up front in our new series as a mea culpa to Mr. Dorn, and I hope my soul will now be allowed into Stovacor and my honor will be restored. Anyway... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to This Is Comp, a series of Discord and Rhyme minisodes where we crawl through various artist compilations and box sets, artist by artist, song by song, zero by zero, one by one. Roll call. I'm Rich Bennell. I'm Mike DeFabio. And we have a special returning guest today. Hello, I'm Shivam Putt. Welcome back to the show, Shivam. So this compilation was your suggestion. So why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about for the next two episodes? I would be happy to. So um, you guys have had me on a couple of different episodes before. And after every one of them, I've come to you, Rich, and said, hey, you know what you should do? MTV's AMP, one of the greatest techno compilations ever come out back in May of 1997 as a spinoff of a late night TV show that was on at like 11 o'clock on MTV <laughs> where it would spin like techno music videos and Eurobeat and stuff from, you know, the far reaches of the Nordic hemisphere. And this compilation, when it came out, when I got it in high school, was like life changing or to use the first track. It was block rocking. This song, <laughs> I mean, this this album is this album and its follow-up Amp 2 were just absolute perfect encapsulations of the zeitgeist of the late 90s of what it meant to be into like techno and electronic right as that wave was just about to crest in America. I'm super excited. Yeah, you've been <laughs> suggesting this for a while and we finally gave in. We didn't really have to give in because this is an exciting one. Mike and I have been wanting to talk about electronic music on this show for a really long time. And when you told yeah. us you wanted to talk about AMP, we realized we'd finally found a willing enabler or collaborator, <laughs> however you want to put it. Oh, my God. I have so many perfect techno compilations, but I figured I would start with just one. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we'd be here all day forever, man. You'll eventually turn us into an electronic show. Oh, God, dude, give me give me an inch and I will turn you into an EDM master. (laughs) (laughs) So for our listeners out there who haven't heard of this comp, here's some really brief background on it. Though she even gave some some good background right there. So AMP is the second comp we've covered that originated as a late night show on MTV that was primarily watched by insomniacs and drunk and or stone (laughs) people. And if you scroll back to early 2020, we talked about the comp Nevermind the Mainstream, which covered alternative music that aired on the show 120 minutes. And AMP, on the other hand, focused on electronic and rave music, and it was kind of responsible for giving a lot of these acts their first mainstream exposure, you know, if you can call like two in the morning mainstream, but hey. (laughs) And uh, the show was created by Todd Muller and Burl Avant and had kind of a public access television vibe. It had no VJs, interviews, or even like interstitial sequences. It was just like this hour-long blur of electronic music, like one track crashing into the next. And I, I personally never watched it, but I, there are videos on YouTube, and it's it's pretty trippy. Welcome to 
if you were into techno around 1996, 1997, and in America, like techno music in Europe had been going on since like the late 80s down to, you know, with Paul Oakenfold doing spinning stuff down in Ibiza and all these early, like early techno masters and the early 90s and the GABA and all the jungle rockers and everything. And getting that to come over to America when we were deep in like, you know, alternative rock and stuff, you were only going to get this to show up at like two in the morning in the dance club type of hours or people are coming home from clubs, turning on MTV and have nothing better to do. Or we're like stoners or we're just kids in high school who were super into like the nascent internet and getting things off of like MP2s off of weird sharing sites back in the day. And what made AMP amazing is exactly what you said. There's no interstitial. There was no DJ. There was no nothing. It was a mixtape. It was an hour-long mixtape of techno music au courant of the, of the era, of the moment that had music videos. And these music videos were all like like watching a lava lamp or a Winamp, like, you know, <laughs> visualizer or something. I mean, we're not talking like, these are not like high art. I mean, some of these were really cool, like uh, by Underworld or by... Um, some other bands like that. And the main, like the main gimmick here was when you were watching Amp, you were blissing out. And I'm not saying that a lot of people were on E at the time. I'm not not saying that. But I'm also saying that when you were listening to this at two in the morning with that bass thrumming, with that kind of lowish volume, there was a mood that, and a tone that you were going for that would have been completely shattered if some like jock rock came on and started talking to you about the latest orbital hit, right? Like that's not what you were looking for. You were looking for that like liminal state, that flow that would allow you to continue the 2 a.m. party. So Shivam, why don't you tell us the story of how you got into electronic music? So here's the thing, right? Techno music is the modern equivalent of Indian classical music. It is rhythmic, deep it's got a full, like the, the drum lines and the, the bass lines are in concert with each other. They work in this kind of like pattern. There's a drone sense over it. There's a melody that kind of hovers over the drone. If you break down the bass components of techno, it is literally Hindustani high classical music just with a deeper, uh, with louder bass, right? And so in the early 90s, in the late 90s, when I was growing up in California and uh, we were super into just like, you know, alternative rock and te and just that whole thing. And here in the Bay, there was a lot of um, import-export music culture coming from Europe, coming from Asia. And a lot of my friends would be getting these tracks. And we were all deep into, like, uh, electronic culture, more into, like, you know, hacking into computers, into doing cutting-edge technology. So we would be doing things like trading CDs and stuff before that was even really an idea. And one of my friends, who was a hardcore stoner, handed me this disc once of Orbital's for, um, Inside's album. And I listened to it, and I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's it is just fantastic. Like, it is one of like the most mind-blowing discs I've ever heard. It's got just this panoply of sound that's so beautiful. Like, we all heard, the, and obviously Mortal Kombat, the movie had come out. Hackers, the movie had come out. And they had brought their soundtrack with them. And so listening to these in concert with each other gave me this deep love of like electronic music. And th my local DJ here at Live 105, the radio station that used to be here in the Bay, would have this Sunday night show where they would play techno music for like three or four hours. And so you could just like tape it and I would tape it off of it with my uh, tape player and play the tapes in my car on the way to school or whatever. And I just got so deep into it. And then I started going to raves. I started going into club culture and going into like really um, 
places that are less less than kosher, let's say, for uh, having a good time. I've definitely found myself in muddy fields at two in the morning, just dancing my brains out. And um, the music was trance-inducing. It was ecstasy-inducing. And it was almost a religious experience in the way that I, as a Hindu, was deeply familiar with. So these tones really resonated with me a lot. And I discovered Amp because I would be up at like two in the morning playing Quake or whatever and watching MTV. <laughs> and what I discovered is like you could take these CDs and put them in and they would be great soundtracks for video games you're playing. Like I'd gotten into um, like the last time we had talked about Pure Moods or you guys had talked about Pure Moods and Pure Moods led me into techno. Riverdance led me into techno. It's hard to believe that that weird Celtic revolution we had for 10 minutes led me <laughs> into electronic dance music. But that's like when you look at Enya and Enigma and all of these kind of pure moody bands, that is a pathway right into like Aphex Twin. And it's, it's all hard connected. To, oh, my God. It totally is. So when I discovered Amp and when I was I got this compilation, I turn it on. And first thing you hear is Chemical Brothers, Block Rock and Beats. And it's just like oh, this is it. This is where I live now. <laughs> and then for the next 20 years, I was just completely, I went deep, deep into happy hardcore, into dance and revolution, into just all of this amazing techno music. Like when I discovered the game Res, the video game Res, which is like synesthetic exploration of techno music as a rail shooter, it's, it changed my life. So, uh, so Mike, you're a producer and you're a DJ and you're a composer of electronic music yourself as the other leading brand. And uh, so uh, why don't you go into your story? How did all of that happen? What's the story of Electronic Mike? Electronic Mike. Well, I, see, I, I got into electronic music kind of as a result of playing around with audio editors and sort of like stumbling my way into making music, like realizing that I could do that on a computer. And... As I started getting more into that, I started wanting to listen to more people who were doing that. A lot of uh, techno music at the time was really pretty, pretty irritating to me. Like I remember, <laughs> I remember hearing like Daft Punk and thinking it was just the most annoying, repetitive crap. Um, you know, stuff like Around <laughs> the World and things like that. So the the stuff that I got into first was like the really arty, really kind of psychedelic stuff. I really got into the orb mm. because because of uh you know I was such a, I was a, a huge Pink Floyd fan, and you know they they really wear the Pink Floyd influence on their sleeve, and I got into like Meat Beat Manifesto and things mm. like that, and then you know IDM and that whole world. Uh, as awful a name for a genre as that is. Yeah, intelligent dance music. <laughs> not not that stupid dance music that you like. There there has never been a good name for what this genre of music is from like electronica to techno to IDM to EDM to just like beats and Balearic. I mean, people need to like just figure it <laughs> out, but it's been 20 years and they haven't. Yeah, as yeah. we'll get into a little bit, there are a lot of subgenres of electronic music. And we're going to try not to get too in the weeds unless it's really relevant. But yeah, just go on Wikipedia if you want to see the, like, I don't know, 70,000 different forms of house. <laughs> there are yeah. these amazing family trees you can get on the web where you can click and just go like, oh, Deep House takes me to Happy Hardcore, takes me to blah, blah, blah. And it's got musical samples and shows you the evolutionary track of all these things. Like, I'm oh, a big yeah. fan of UK underground uh Dub, uh, like two-step jazz music from England, which is itself yeah. a spinoff of other, anyways, Garage House. And I, if you hang around on uh, Ishker's Guide, I think that's yes. still up. 
Oh my god, if, Oscar's guide. If you explore like, that, it, you'll learn a lot. It's a lot of fun. We'll, we'll have to put a link in the show description. So as as for me, I, I hadn't heard of AMP until Shivam brought it up, but my own history with electronic music can actually be traced back to Mike. It's all very convenient. <laughs> uh, so there was a moment in late 2004 and early 2005 when so two people handed me DVDs filled with full albums on MP3 that permanently and illegally changed the course of my musical taste. And the first of those was when the work shift manager at my college co-op gave me a DVD filled with hip hop. And I talked a bit about that in our Jizza episode. And the second was when Mike unprompted decided to give me two DVDs filled with electronic music, or maybe it was three DVDs. I can't remember. I don't even remember. Yeah. And anyway, it was perfect music to put on while studying and writing my undergrad thesis. And it, it basically rewired my brain and changed my mm -hmm. perception of like whether music could be this abrasive and repetitive and still be good. <laughs> yeah. Because I definitely didn't think that before. But yeah, so I was familiar with about half of the artists on AMP, either through Mike or just, you know, kind of by chain of association from one of the artists Mike introduced me to. And I'm really looking forward to talking about them. I mean, it's really important to note that this is, again, it is an MTV compilation, right? Like, and that means this is, this is not just um, electronic music, but it's electronic music that has made the mainstream enough to be onto MTV. Like, we're not talking deep underground cuts here. This is not like 808 state or like, you know, any real true hardcore stuff. This was meant to be a my first electronic compilation for like people who were just, you know, this is, I guess, this is techno music for like the uh, mall crowd, right? Like, for the people who are just starting to dip their feet in to get a taste of what it was like. And whoever put this compilation together really, really did their homework in terms of trying to hit the broadest spectrum of like, this is not a fluid compilation. Like a lot of techno music compilations are, it's not a seamless one that gives you one kind of tonal stretch with a bunch of different bands. This is definitely like a, a salad bar almost of techno music of like, here's a little bit of like all these different flavors that you can get. And then you can dive into each one and go deeper. Well, we should get started. But uh, before we do, I have a quick disclaimer about kind of the scope of these episodes. So this is electronic music, which means it's filled with samples. And we're going to go into that a bit. But there's just no way we're going to have the time to unpack every single one of them, especially because oh, that yeah. isn't even publicly available information in a lot oh, of yeah, cases. You're never going like, to find that. Yeah, DJs really like to hold on to the secrets of their trade. And uh, similarly, a lot of these tracks have just dozens upon dozens of remixes, whether by the artists themselves or by other artists. And uh, we're going to talk about a few of those, but we're only really going to talk about that when it's particularly notable to the track we're covering, because electronic music is its own lively, vast ecosystem, and it's really easy to get lost in the weeds. But for, you know, for the sake of keeping things moving along, we're going to try as best as we can to stay within <laughs> the frame of the tracks on this compilation. That sure sounds like a direct and pointed warning towards me, my friend. <laughs> no, well, talk about talk about whatever you want. It's more that like in researching these songs uh, to get ready for this episode, I would often just come across like 30 oh, different yeah. versions of some of them. And honestly, like in, in some cases, I wasn't able to figure out which was like the one, the true <laughs> the, version of which each Which is song. the canonical version of this Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's confusing. All right. What do you guys say? Shall we get this party started? Let's party like it's 1997. So track one is by the aforementioned Chemical Brothers and it's called Block Rockin' beats
Mike is straight up moshing now. <laughs> so if you were even vaguely familiar with electronic music in the 90s, you're probably familiar with the Chemical Brothers, which makes them a really great jumping off point for this compilation. So the Chemical Brothers are a duo consisting of Tom Rollins and Ed Simons, who met while they were taking the same history course while attending university in Manchester, England. And by the way, get ready for a lot of UK acts on MTV's AMP. Nine out of the 13 songs in this comp come from the British Isles. Uh, Manchester in particular was an epicenter of British indie music and dance culture to the point where it was colloquially referred to as Madchester. Hell yeah, it was. Anyway, so Tom Rowlands actually enrolled at Manchester University because of its proximity to the legendary Hacienda nightclub mm. owned by Factory Records and New Order. And uh, we'll actually be talking about more about the Hacienda when we cover New Order on the show very, very soon. But the, the duo originally performed as the Dust Brothers, which is, was an homage to the producers of the Beastie Boys' Paul's Boutique LP, until they started attracting more publicity and the actual Dust Brothers' lawyers came a knocking. at which point they rebranded as the Chemical Brothers. They released their debut album Exit Planet Dust in 1995, and Block Rock and Beats comes from their 1997 sophomore album Dig Your Own Hole, which topped the UK charts, hit number 13 in the States, and was such a big deal that even 14-year-old Savage Garden and Natalie and Brulia fan Rich Bennell was familiar with it. <laughs> All right, take it away, Shivam. Okay, so the thing about Chemical Brothers is that for years I hated them. I hated the Chemical Brothers because they were the equivalent. It's like when you were a techno musician, I mean, a techno fan in like the mid 90s in America, you were definitely that indie rocker guy. You were like, I loved these guys before they were cool. And Chemical Brothers were always cool. Ergo, I never loved them. Right. Like <laughs> they are the like kind of dictionary definition of the most pop pop act of techno music. And I always found Block Rocking Beats to be such an abrasive song. And because like, it's got all of the hallmarks of good, like early, I mean, good, like techno music, generic baseline techno, right? It's got a loop that starts. It's got layers that go over it. It's got a sample of someone just saying a few words. And then it's got that damn whistle that just comes in and starts screeching out of nowhere. And it's like such a fundamentally annoying song. And yet it is an absolute banger when you're out dancing or when you're in a club or when it's part of a mix. And it just fills you with this real hype emotion. It's a real energizing song. It's a real driving song. And so it brings you in immediately, grabs you and says, all right, we're not going to like, you know, the like Queensryche anymore. This is not Nirvana. This is complete. <laughs> you're in a different world now. You're in like La La Land and we're just going to grab you by the face and pull you in. It's definitely not Queensryche. <laughs> I, I was watching some like documentary about like 80s butt rock the other day. So it's still kind of fresh in my head, like <laughs> Queensryche of all the people to go for. It's funny that you mentioned Hacienda though, because Hacienda and Factory Records is kind of considered the birthplace of where techno came from, right? And I'm sure we'll mm -hmm. get into that later. But um, Manchester itself, like when you go there and you would be in those clubs and you'd be seeing the kind of like 70s disco music like Donna Summer era type stuff and then evolving it into British equivalent of like what modern techno music became, Chemical Brothers is kind of like a perfect encapsulation of that evolutionary stage. It is exactly like you can trace a line from like 1960s, 70s soul and, and techno and soul and disco right into uh, where we get to block rock and beats. So you mentioned that the Chemical Brothers are actually are like one of the basic electronic bands that you get into, but I actually got into them pretty recently. Like we're talking in the last five years or so. They were not. <laughs> Jeez. Th yeah, they were not on that compilation that Mike gave me. I guess they were too basic for you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's 
Well, well, I'll, <laughs> I'll get more into that. Well, so I heard their name a lot growing up in the 90s and for a long time, uh, for a really long time, I've loved the Spike Jones video for the song Electrobank, which features Sofia Coppola doing an amazing gymnastics routine. And if you're one who likes to exercise like I used to, this is this is really great workout music. Like I used to put on Exit Planet Dust when going for a run. And it's it's just perfect for that. It's like these epic layers of drums arranged in the most propulsive way possible. Like if you keep moving, you will like literally get swallowed up by the beat. Mm -hmm. But Mike, why don't you expound on what you were just saying? Yeah, well, I, I listened to the Chemical Brothers a lot in high school. I got really into Dig Your Own Hole and Exit Planet Dust and also, also their uh, their DJ mix album, Brothers Gonna Work It Out, which is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I stopped listening to them for a long time. I think I just kind of got it in my head that this was like, yeah, it's it's too basic. You're not really supposed to like it. You're supposed to like dig deeper and yeah. I only like the real stuff. Mm -hmm. You're supposed um, to dig your own hole. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, dude, the Chemical Brothers felt a lot like the Imagine Dragons of the era, right? Like yeah. pop stadium <laughs> pop music. It exists because there's a hole in culture that needs it to exist. But it's like they did get better though. I liked like a lot Hey Boy, Hey Girl that came out way later. Like I think off like the album Surrender or something like that in Surrender is really on. good. That's a great song. My, my favorite song on Dig Your Own Hole was always uh, the private psychedelic reel. I loved that one. Mm. things that makes uh the chemical brothers uh such a great uh entry point for a rock fan they, they have this kind of rock and roll uh kind of swagger and they've got their, their sound has a lot of dirt and grit to it that's that's very inviting to a rock fan and you could tell just from listening to you know the private psychedelic reel setting sun these guys loved the beatles these guys knew you know their revolver and, and what have you so yes. Shivam, you, you mentioned uh, just how annoying this song is. It <laughs> is, but I would add the modifier gloriously to the beginning of that. Fair. Uh, it's just, it's one of those songs that it's it's so annoying and abrasive that it just becomes wonderful. It's, I think this is, this might be one of the earliest examples of what you might call brotronica. <laughs> like I would remind you that uh, just a, about a month and a half before this single came out, uh, The Simpsons introduced Poochie the dog to the world. The rockin' dog. The rockin' dog. And this song has a lot of that. It's it's in your face to the extreme. It, it is definitely a pop collar of a yeah. song. It, this, is, this is like the song of spring break. Of I mean, this is a very... It, I guess it just kind of serves, it's a thesis sentence, right? This is the most MTV techno song you're going to find. Yeah. It is tailor-made for MTV's, like, when you think MTV spring break circa the mid-90s of, like, just drunk white dudes in, like, Mexico going, yeah, it is definitely <laughs> block rock and BT. This is, like, you know, 90s extreme, like, you know, people on half pipes and just <laughs> snowboarding. And it's, it is, it is the perfect encapsulation of that moment in time. It's a big fisheye lens. But that said, if I was going to circa 1997, be given the task to come up with an album that was going to introduce techno to America, Block Rock and Beats would have 100% been the first song I pulled on there. 
absolutely best opener you could have for the thesis of this album. So before we move on, I have a few samples to play for this one. Uh, so the Chemical Brothers play a subgenre of electronica that's called breakbeat, which means we first need to define what a break is. So a break is an instrumental interlude, usually a percussive one that stands apart from the rest of a song's arrangement. And the most famous break of all time almost certainly is the Amen break, which comes mm -hmm. from the 1969 track Amen Brother by the Winstons. And it's literally been sampled more than 5,000 times. What's the best drum hit in the world, man? And if you don't recognize that one, I'm going to play a version of it I found on YouTube where it's both sped up and slowed down. And you've probably heard each of these if you've listened to enough hip hop. It becomes a totally different song just by changing the speed. The thing is, though, like that is the most fundamental techno beat you were ever going to find. But it's also in Led Zeppelin's, for instance, When the Levee Breaks, that's the amen break that he's drumming there. So breaks are one of the basic building blocks of all sample-based music, and usually one is all you need. Now, breakbeat takes that idea a few steps further and is basically a giant pile of breaks, intricately organized into like this percussive monster of a song, and that's yeah. basically what the Chemical Brothers do with their music. So again, I'm not going to go into every sample on block rock and beats, but I've got a few of them to play. So the bass groove comes from the 1974 track, The Well's Gone Dry by the Crusaders. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And the drums come from a couple of places. The first is the 1973 track, Changes by Bernard Purdy. You done hired the hit maker. And there are also drums later on in the song from the 1969 track, Got Myself a Good Man by Pucho and his Latin Soul Brothers. That's a good beat, man. And finally, the one that you've all been waiting for, that vocal hook comes from the intro to the 1989 track, Gucci Again by Schooly D. Yo, what's up, man? This TLA back on the set again. I don't know if y'all heard about it or not, but Schooly D is back with another one of those block rocking beats. Bust, bust, Holy bust, crap. Bust. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of these on this compilation. I did not they're, see that. I they're, mean, they're usually from the very beginning of a song before the beat comes in because that makes it easier to sample. Wow, that blew my mind. <laughs> okay, well, now that we've had that little history lesson about the Chemical Brothers, let's go on to track two on MTV's Amp. This is Adam Bomb by Fluke.
Bomb was released in 1997 and appears on Fluke's fourth full-length album, Risotto. This is music for making a risotto, isn't it? <laughs> so Fluke were a trio from Beaconsfield, Buckinghamshire, England, uh, consisting of Michael Turnier, Mike Bryant, and Jonathan Fugler, the latter two of whom performed in punk bands in their teens, including The Lay Figures and The Leaky Radiators. They formed Fluke in 1988 and released a series of early house singles, including Joni, which samples Joni Mitchell's Big Yellow Taxi. There isn't much in the way of biographical information surrounding Fluke because they were intentionally reclusive and rarely gave interviews, and they instead chose to make their cultural presence known through their remixing and soundtrack work, which is honestly pretty common for artists on this compilation. Their most well-known remix probably is their mini-mix of Bjork's Big Time Sensuality, which is actually the version of the song Bjork issued for the official single release. I do like that one a lot more than the kind of dinky version on Bjork's debut album. Yeah. Or rather Bjork's album debut, which is not her <laughs> debut album technically. But, you know, <laughs> if you want to know more about Bjork, listen to our episode 61, which she even guessed it Hey, on. who was on there? I love that yeah. song. <laughs> <laughs> it is a great song. So Fluke's track Slap It showed up in The Matrix Reloaded under the name Zion. And Atom Bomb was actually originally written for the soundtrack to the racing video game Wipeout 2097 which I think I played once and I was really bad at it. Wipeout yeah. 2097 is one of the most influential techno music albums you've ever seen. For a game that was basically just a random PS1 racer, that disc, is, and I realize it's outside the scope of this show, but that disc was killer. It was insanely good. It had Future Sound of London, it had Fluke, it had Fotech, it had Chemical Brothers, Underworld, Prodigy. It was insanely good. I mean, for a friggin' licensed track, Based on a, like a generic nothing racer for PlayStation, one of the best possible soundtracks you could get. Like, blew my mind. Mm -hmm. Now, Fluke's Atom Bomb is an absolute banger of a track. Because first off, think about it. You're coming right out of Chemical Brothers. You're coming out of this siren-heavy, drum-heavy breakbeat song, and you get immediately slowed down. You get the tempo drops, the, the BPMs drop, the voice modulation of the song drops. But the rhythm is still driving. It's still got this pace. Suddenly, instead of being the bright lights of the big city, you're now deep into like the dark alleyways, like lit up by fluorescent lights. You're driving through. It's looking kind of weird and pale and orangey. And it's just got this really low warehousey tone to it. It's such a cool, cool track. Like when I was talking to Rich about this album, one of the things that came up is that I've written... I'm synesthetic and I've written basically an entire fan fiction about this album and how the tracks kind of tell this story of this like city falling apart and this war attacking it. And you'll see as it goes through, but this album, I mean, this song, Adam Bomb is just, it's the voice in it, the way that the guy sings at a very even modulated pace. It offers a second syncopated rhythm track over the drum beat. And it is just so vibing. It is such a really cool and really just like, like if, if block rock and beats makes you want to jump up and dance, then Adam bomb makes you want to sit down and just kind of bob your head and be like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's like, 
it's got this real, real fluid is fluidness to it. Yeah, I have synesthesia too, and our so does our co-host Amanda Rogers, who isn't on this episode. And uh, but it, it sounds based on the way you've described your synesthesia before, I think yours is a lot more like vivid than mine in regards to like how you respond to music. Like you've, you've mentioned, like how your synesthesia reacts to the game Res, which you mentioned earlier. Oh my god, it's a, it's like. It, it literally like going on ecstasy and having been on ecstasy, I've got a comparison, but, but it's, it's this like, because I've also got a very vivid imagination. So the combination of vivid imagination plus the way sounds linked to textures means that sometimes music gets really, really cool for me. And this one, for instance, it just, it has that kind of foggy green vibe of like when you're playing early quake in 1997, mm-hmm. going through a hallway and the textures are pseudo transparent. When you play a video game that's done with Redbox audio in PC, you used to be able to take the CD out and replace it with any audio CD you would want. And then it would start with track two because track one was the data track, track two was the audio tracks. And so if you put amp into the uh, CD, into a game for that had Redbook audio, then it would skip over block rocking beats because great, because I hate that song. And it would go right into Atom Bomb for whatever their first track was going to be. So a mm-hmm. lot of times for like the stage select or something like that, it would just have Atom Bomb playing in the background and it would just be really, really sick. I love this song. I think it's really, really cool. Yeah, I'm, br- I'm, I'm glad you brought up Quake because that's really like most of the notes that I have for this song is, is basically that I'm not surprised at all to learn that these guys are associated with video game soundtracks. Like th- that's the primary thought I had listening to Adam Bomb, that it sounds like something you would blast while playing like Quake or Unreal oh, Tournament in your dorm room. Oh, yeah. yeah. This was made for FPS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I personally can't say that this one is really my thing, but sometimes music is more to like set a specific vibe and not necessarily for casual listening. And I can I can respect that. Like this is good Quake music. Yeah, Fluke is not, it's, Atom Bomb is not a song. I sit there and I'm like, you know what? I feel like listening to Atom Bomb today. It's more <laughs> like when it shows up in the randomizer, I'm like, oh yeah, this is cool. Or when I'm playing a game or something and it's just in the background. Tracks like that need to exist. When it's time to pull out the BFG. Yeah, this is not the song that you're going to go to, but it's a song that you're not going to skip past. So, Mike, what do you think? Well, I, I wish I could share Shivam's enthusiasm for this one, but I think this might be my least favorite on the compilation. And there's there's nothing on here that I hear and go, oh, this is horrible. But it's this song. It's kind of bland. My, it, it's, well, my, my main thought is that it, it sounds like it was written and performed by a pair of wraparound sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was that taking is, a drink of water there and that was dangerous. <laughs> that, is, that is not untrue. <laughs> that is absolutely not untrue. But I, I, I get your point about, you know, uh, you know, the sequencing, how it makes sense to come right after block rock and beats. You need to drop the tempo a bit. And you know, if I were if I were more of a gamer, I could I could see really digging this song. It's just not not one of my favorites on here. It's definitely it's definitely got the same vibe that a lot of '90s soundtracks had. It's like it's got a tempo, it's got a pacing, it's ambient enough that it can go in the background without being obtrusive. It's not in your face, but when you're listening to a, a, a techno mix or like a dance compilation, or you're at a rave or something, you need to have these transitory periods of music that are just kind of like a beat structure that will let you move from one flow to the next. That gives you, it gives you a smidge of come down without killing you in terms of killing the beat or killing your vibe. That way, so that you can move from peak to peak to peak without losing that kind of energy. Yeah, well, 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 so, well, this is music for one of the valleys when you're rolling at a rave. Yeah. 
Or if you're at like, you know, a bar waiting for your seat at a hip restaurant. Yeah. And I guess I should clarify that I never ha- actually have been to a rave. That's just based on secondhand knowledge of what they're like. I have been to my share. <laughs> I've been to one rave because Meat Beat Manifesto were performing at one. Meat Beat Manifesto is so good, though. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was it was worth going to it to see them. It was in like, yeah, early 2000s. They were great. Dude, I've been to like the, the heart of weirdo California to see Techno Axe like play three days over in just like fairgrounds. Uh, it's, it makes me wish I was 10 years younger than I was and 10 years <laughs> older than I was so that I could have been in Europe and doing this in like Goa or something or in Ibiza. But instead I'm in like Fairfield. <laughs> so what are you going to do? This one was at, uh, it was in an abandoned, uh, it was in an empty, empty uh, department store in Oakland. Hell yeah. That's the best place, right? <laughs> did you ghost ride the whip? I did not. <laughs> the whistle goes woo, my friend. <laughs> Okay, well, let's move on to the next track. This is one of my favorite bands on the compilation and just one of my favorite bands in general. This is Underworld with Pearl's Girl. Hell yes. song so much (laughs) so pearl's girl was released as part of a series of singles in 1996 as well as on underworld's fourth studio album second toughest in the infants and a fun thing about underworld is that their album titles are almost all completely inscrutable because they've also released the albums buku fish barbara barbara we face a shining future and lowercase one word dub no bass with my head man Hell yeah. Yeah, all of which are pretty great albums. So Underworld's lineup has gone through a number of changes over the years, but the core of the band is the duo of Carl Hyde on vocals and guitars and Rick Smith on keyboards, mixing, and backing vocals. The two met while attending university in Cardiff, Wales, and they originally worked together in the early 80s in the new wave band Fur before the duo reunited in the late 80s to form Underworld. And this version of the band retroactively referred to as Underworld Mark One, like Deep Purple or something, <laughs> uh, performed a hybrid of industrial music, funk, and modern rock, and released two albums that the band has more or less disowned because they're honestly not very good. You wanna pick up. After this iteration of the band fizzled out, Hyde and Smith recruited DJ Darren Emerson to form the band Lemon Interrupt, and they wisely decided to ditch that name and just revive the name Underworld for their new project. 
This iteration of Underworld performs a dense, expansive brand of arena techno that has attracted massive critical acclaim. And their best known song is probably Born Slippy, whose B-side bornslippy.nuxx or Nux, I've never really been clear on that, received considerable attention and airplay when it was included on the soundtrack to Train Spotting. Log a log a log. Oh god, I love Born Slippy so much. Yeah, dude, Underworld. Okay, so look at the way the pacing of this album is, right? First, it punches you in the face with Chemical Brothers, the most popular techno band of the minute. Then it gives you a slowdown taste of what, like, transitory music with Adam Bomb Fluke. And then it brings you to the next one of the largest bands in the world of techno, Underworld with Pearl's Girl. I don't know. I mean, if I was going to pick a song, it would have been either Born Slippy or Pearl's Girl because my personal favorite Underworld song, Rez, is like nine minutes of pure trance and... So check this out. So Rez is this, like we were talking about this game earlier, Rez. It was named for this song, Rez from Underworld. And this song is a nine minute long, fully blissed out, repetitive trip. It's just super smooth. It's super chill, late night vibes. And it's got long sections, like four, like four minutes or something of just one segment, just repeating over and over again. And I was playing Civilization, which was one of my favorite games of all time. It's a game that you can get lost in. You can just sit and take another turn, another turn, and lose track of time. And what I didn't realize is I had played this compilation that had Rez on it so many times that there was a scratch right underneath where Rez, the track, was on this CD. (laughs) And the scratch was exactly three seconds long, which was exactly the length of one of the loops in this one repeating section of the song. So, for some reason... I'm sitting here playing Civilization, zoning out, missed, like losing track of time, and my CD player finds this one notch of a perfect, perfect three-second loop that like you would die to do. You couldn't do like manually. It's so perfectly seamless. And it looped this track for four and a half hours before I realized what was going on. <laughs> because it was dark in my room. It was late at night. I was playing a game that time has no meaning, and I'm listening to a zone trance techno song. It was the greatest thing ever. And I was like, oh, holy crap, this is this is not good. And I bought another copy of the disc. I, I, was, I was wondering if you had music that you played Civ to, and that, that answered my question. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, there's techno compilations that I have lived and died to with Civ. Um, but this song, Pearl's Girl, is just such a wild and weird shift from the first two tracks. Because... Chemical Brothers is definitely like the birth of hip hop. I mean, it's like the evolution of hip hop. It's hip hop into breakbeat, into like techno music. It's got that uh, genesis. Underworld is rock music going into electronic techno. And so it comes to it from a different angle. It's got different vibe to it, but it's also like the lyrics are totally meaningless. The lyrics have no relevance to anything. I've been listening to the song for like 25 years and I couldn't tell you what the hell it's about. Um, but it doesn't matter because it's just another drone track over this vibrating guitar and drum beat that's just taking you places. Love it. Mike, talk to me about Underworld. Underworld were the band that taught me to stop worrying and love the four on the floor kick drum. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's I, I had to admit to myself that I liked house and all these kinds of things after I heard Underworld because there was so much uh, there was so much going on. 
and they had, I mean, they were, they were really like a band. You could tell what the different people were doing. They had a, a singer that added to the music rather than kind of seeming superfluous. And there are a lot of Underworld songs that I absolutely adore, but I think Pearl's Girl stands alone. Uh, I mean, the the drum programming in this song is just so great. Mm. It's got all those layers to it, and I especially love uh, that one real slap-in-the-face snare drum that comes every couple of bars. Uh, it's got those that, that huge, lushed-out synth that comes in playing a chord progression I have never heard in another song. I think it's entirely unique. And then you've got Carl Hyde on top of it, who sounds like he's speaking in tongues or something. I mean, he might as well be. Have you heard the lyrics of this song? It's it's complete nonsense, but he it's like he's he's in a a, a state of ecstasy, so to speak. He's preaching somewhere, man. He's yeah. I don't know what Einstein and Al Green have to do with anything, but you know, it, it sure means something to him. But uh, I should mention what what got me into Underworld was uh, hearing their their live album. Actually, the the DVD version of their live album, Everything Everything, which oh, yeah. uh, a friend of mine put on when we were at his house after some concert or other. And uh, there's a version they do Pearl's Girl on that on that album in that movie, and uh, the version the live version sounds a little bit different. And I've got a clip at the beginning of that. Oh. Just a waitress, she said. When I bought a new hat, she said. Look at you, I believe in you, she said. Screaming into the eye of the land. Crazy, 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 Sold. God, that drum is so good. I love that live album. You you would think that an, an electronic live album. What's, what's the point of that? What are they, they hit play? But, oh, dude, you know they they're they're like a band. They really, I mean, th- their sets were all improvised and everything. It's it's terrific. Yeah, Underworld is probably my favorite band on this entire compilation, and and, and just one of my favorite bands in general. Like like uh, Dubno Bass with my Headman is legit one of my favorite albums of all time. And uh, Mike and I are kind of in a cold war over over whether to cover <laughs> that one or Buku Fish on this podcast. Maybe we'll just do both or one of them as a bonus episode. Who knows? But yeah, back when again back when I used to go running and therefore make running mixes, I would always always include the song Cowgirl, which is just the most mm. propulsive piece of music. I have ever heard. It just makes you keep moving. I love that song. 
Boy, I'm going to be saying that a lot this episode, huh? God, I love this song. <laughs> it's so good. In fact, if anyone listening to this series is a rock fan who's kind of on the fence about electronic music, like Underworld is the single band I would point to first to listen to as a good gateway drug. But um, in particular, mm. if you're into New Order, I think you'll probably like Underworld because they've always struck me as kind of the same basic idea. Yes, except un- yes. except Underworld are like even more willing to kind of break away from traditional verse chorus structure and like really open up their music into just like really fun, creative sound uh, soundscapes with a lot of variety. Like, like you really go on a journey when you listen to one of their albums. It's not just the oh, same yeah. thing over and over again. I would definitely have started with dub no bass with my head, man, if I was going to pick an underworld album to go into, but man, you can't go wrong with that. That three stretch from dub no bass, second toughest or Buko fish, uh, three fantastic albums. Fantastic, fantastic albums. Okay, shall we move on? Mm. Let's let's do that. So track four in this compilation is the feature sound of London with We Have Explosive. We have explosive. Eight away cowbell. That whistle, man, that whistle kills me. Yeah. This came out 25 years ago. Is this the actual sound of London by now? FSOL is, I mean, dude, remember, London was like the epicenter of like techno music from the 80s and 90s. So it's it's wild to call themselves a future when they are so like of the moment. <laughs> so despite their name, the future sound of London originated once again in Manchester when Gary Cobain and Brian Dugans met as students at the University of Manchester Institute of Science and Technology. And I'm starting to detect a theme on this compilation. Lots of college students. <laughs> so Cobain was pursuing an electronics degree, but had never touched a computer. And Dugans was taking a sound recording course that didn't use any electronics, but he did have a really awesome computer. So when the two of them met, it was a match made in Manchester. The duo released their first and biggest hit in 1991, a club track called Papua New Guinea that matched Papua together. Papua New Guinea is so good. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. And the song matched together the bass line from Meet Beat Manifesto's Radio Babylon with Lisa Gerard's vocal from the song Dawn of the Iconoclast by Dead Can Dance. But the duo was exhausted with the music industry's obsession with dance singles. And according to Cobain, what the two of them really wanted to make was, quote, big, sprawling, cosmic, ambient rock albums. In other words, concept albums, end quote. And he just said the discordant rhyme magic words right there. <laughs> <laughs> 
So We Have Explosive was released on the Future Sound of London's 1996 album, Dead Cities, as well as on a standalone EP in 1997. And the song was another British chart success, hitting number 12 on UK singles. And an interesting thing about it is that it's built entirely out of samples from three songs from the 1988 Run DMC album, Tougher Than Leather. The first one is called Soul to Rock and Roll. The second sample comes from I'm Not Going Out Like That. And finally, they sampled the title track, Tougher Than Leather. I've actually never listened to that Run DMC album. I'm going to have to give it a listen. I, I stopped at Raising Hell and never moved on past that one. So we have Explosive. First off, I'm glad that they put FSOL on here because they're an iconic band of the 90s, an iconic techno group. But I wish to God that they put Papua New Guinea instead of um, We Have Explosive. Because Papua New Guinea is one of the first true trance songs. Like one of the, I mean, post 808 State, it was like one of the songs that really encapsulated what it meant to be like listening to airy, breathy female vocals over a soothing drone beat that's just kind of flowing, floating you through the clouds. One of the most gorgeous songs I've ever heard. I love Papua New Guinea a lot. And I've got like 50 different mixes of it, all of them official because God (laughs) knows this is techno music, right? We Have Explosive was like almost... Like if you were coming from this, you know, heavenly massage and then you crash into a tree, it's um, just, I mean, it's a real teeth gritting song. Like what this is, like you can hear from the very abrasive kind of like, like the samples they use, that whistle sample was basically one of the DJ scratches from the DMC record, just going, and it's just like, the fact that that's like the driving melody is that scratchy kind of like that really abrasive whistle over this kind of like light flowy thing. If you remember the evolution of techno music, there was a stage where all the people who were raving, they were doing things like they were on pot, they were on E, they were moving to different drugs to understand and explore chemical, uh, you know, chemical enhancements to the way they listen to music. And by that, I mean hard drugs. And one of the things that happened is when the E started to wear off and stopped having the effect that it used to have, a lot of these people started moving to higher drugs like heroin and cocaine and like other more like speed type of drugs that would help you like kind of really, I guess, you know, uppers they used to call them. And like that kind of um, vibe, when you saw like ravers in the nineties, you see a lot of them with pacifiers and they'd be wearing the big baggy clothes and the bright orange stuff. The reason that they would have pacifiers is because a lot of these drugs would make you grit your teeth really, really hard because you're just like moving so fast and having the pacifier in your mouth, the same way it stops a baby from gritting their teeth would help them to protect their teeth from when they're really, really going. And when you listen to We Have Explosive and like you didn't play the part where the vocal comes and it just starts kicking you with like, we have explosive. You can see that this is definitely a darker song, a harder song, a song that you're definitely like thrumming at like 300 BPM to, but your teeth are gritting, you're hopping in one place. You've got that kind of, it's not full GABA, but it's moving in that direction. And GABA is like real like jungle music for like 
people who are total burnout, like 350 <laughs> BPM, like neo-Nazi level type stuff. Not all Gava, but like some of it just definitely went in that direction, like skinhead type music. But We Have Explosive was definitely exploring that that era of electronic music. Yeah, that is one of the cliches about people who are on ecstasy that they're that they need to like come down and massage their jaw muscles. And this mm-hmm. is this is like real like teeth gritting music. Like I can imagine yeah. like the teeth coming down and chomping with every beat. Yeah. But I was completely new to F Soul. I'd never I think I'd heard the name before, but I'd never heard their music. And I made sure for most of these artists to listen to one or two full albums by each of the artists oh. on this comp. Oh, no. Because I, I often find that it gives me some extra context that helps illuminate what a band is really going for. And honestly, the future sign of London is definitely a case where I'm glad I did that because like we have explosive is this like thudding, yeah, teeth gritting sonic attack. Like you're being like pounded into sheet metal or something. <laughs> but I, but I listened to all of their full length debut album life forms and it, it isn't like this at all. Like it's nothing Not but like atmospheric, all. carefully crafted soundscapes, like almost sound paintings in a way. Uh, and there's even a guest appearance by Robert Fripp, who is one of the patron saints of this podcast. So I was <laughs> glad to learn that. Do you have a moment to talk about Robert Fripp? <laughs> Dude, I got to see him with Tool. It was amazing. Oh, so did I. I think something like three quarters of Discord and Rhyme has seen King Crimson in concert recently. Dude, I think so yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if we have explosive isn't really your speed and you like slower, more contemplative music, I recommend checking out Life Forms, though I should probably warn you that it's 90 minutes long. And that's pretty much the case for all of the albums I listen to for this compilation. Electronic musicians <laughs> generally don't care if you have other things to do today. No, because you don't. <laughs> Mike, what do you think of F-Soul? Well, the only... Uh... Future Sound of London album I was previously familiar with was Life Forms. And as you said, uh, this is not that. <laughs> Ordinarily, I would be able to uh, appreciate the the harder direction they're trying to go in here, except that this song just has the most abrasive synth tone I've ever right. heard. And I listen to some abrasive music, okay? But... I don't <laughs> it's it's like physically uncomfortable for me, uh, even if there are other things about the song that I like. Yeah, it, it's meant to do that on purpose, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it's got to be intentional, like just to, to set you on edge. But uh, I'm I'm going I'm going to go back to my life forms. Thanks. Yeah, I threw on amp a couple of weeks ago while I was stressed out running errands. And when we have explosive came on, it didn't <laughs> help. The, the, no, this is not de-stressing music. This is re-stressing music. But it sets up like this next like block of tracks really well. Yeah. Speaking of, I, well, let's get on to some more contemplative music. Uh, track five is by Fotek and it's called Niten Ichi Ryu. Thank you. 
Fotek is one of about a dozen aliases used by Rupert Parks, who has also released music under the names Studio Pressure, Aquarius, Code of Practice, The Trooper, and The Sentinel, among others. Parks was born and raised in Ipswich, Suffolk, England, and he spent his musical upbringing learning tenor saxophone and piano before shifting into electronic sequencing and composition. After spending years building his name in the underground drum and bass scene, he launched his own independent label, Fotech Productions, in 1994 with a loan from the Prince of Wales Youth Business Trust. Isn't socialism awesome? <laughs> and in, in 1996, he was signed to a five-album deal on Virgin Records' Science imprint. His first release, the Hidden Camera EP, dropped in 1996, and his second science single, Niten Ichiryu, followed shortly after. The title refers to a traditional Japanese martial art and can be loosely translated as, quote, the school of the strategy of two heavens as one. It means literally two swords, one dragon. There you go. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Well, you actually know Japanese, right? Because I do mm. not. And, and it reflected his increasing interest in applying the lessons of martial arts to his production ethos. In the years since, he's remixed artists including Bjork, David Bowie, Everything But The Girl, Dr. Octagon, and Goldie, who we'll be hearing from in the next episode. He now lives in Los Angeles, and he recently composed the score and theme music for the ABC series How to Get Away with Murder. Okay, so Nite Nichiryu is one of my favorite tracks on this album because it is this entire, first off, you're coming off of a stretch of four tracks here, which were percussive and propelling and very like straightforward, very just like driving, right? And immediately you're met with this void. Like this song starts with just one thump in an empty space. And then you hear like the little jingle. And the whole thing is basically made out of samples of this one like bass line while clips of like chunks of a sword fight are just slightly sliced up. And it becomes this entire sonic painting. You see in the mind's eye two people standing out there because, I mean, it's even got like samples from samurai movies. And you can hear these two basically like the intro of Ninja Gaiden sitting, pulling out their swords, running at each other. And then just like the clash that happens. Like this hyper minimalist track, it is this absolute stunning, like, like, so when I, when I listen to this song, I see just picture as if you're sitting there with a blindfold over your eyes, it's pitch black. And all you can see is once in a while, the shine off of the sword and you can just hear the clink and the shink. And then suddenly they're running at each other. And it's just like, it's like listening to a radio drama of a sword fight. It Does is, he have a song that goes with the part of Ninja Gaiden where he says, just a girl, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> It changed my mind. When, like, when I heard this song, first off, the first four tracks are very traditional techno songs. Very standard, very dance heavy, very beat driven. This was like, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know you could have a storytelling song in techno. I didn't know you could have a, a drama. And it's just, it, it drags you to a halt and forces you to slow down, be patient and absorb what you're listening to. You don't get to dance through this. You have to sit and you have to accept it and you have to let this wash over you and just enjoy this like meaningful rest as you're moving forward through the album. It is fundamentally one of the, it is like the pivot point for this disc. It is one of the best tracks on it, in my opinion. Well, I am not super familiar with Fotech. I've heard Modus Operandi years ago and I remember almost nothing about it, but I really like this one. Uh, I think Shivam's uh, description of it is just fantastic. I am not a full-on synesthete, 
but what I see to this song is brutalist architecture. Mm. It's it's all concrete and empty space and maybe exposed rebar. Like yes. everything about this song says you will receive no comfort. <laughs> it's there's no heat retention. There's no there's yes. no place to sit. It's I love that we're we're entering a, a stretch of this album that you can't really dance to. I mean, you can try. You can you unless can, you're intelligent. <laughs> yeah, unless you're yeah, very intelligent. You need to have a very high IQ to dance to dance to the song. Okay. Yeah, I I like how this the the minimalism here is such that I I'm not even sure if it's drum and bass. It's just drum. Yeah, right. There's not even a there's not even a, a bass line to ground you. But there's you, the thing is though he manages to build a regular enough texture while you're listening that there's still a rhythm, there's still a drive yeah. you could follow. But it's got this kind of orchestration layered on top of it, so you can still jam to it, you can still bop to it, but but it's not it's it's like listening to a composed album as opposed to just like somebody yeah. puts a breakbeat sample for to the floor. This feels right. like every beat was chosen deliberately. Yeah. And minimalism, it the idea of so techno is very much a maximalist genre. It is not a minimalist genre. And there are places where are minimal and when you see something that is hyper minimalism like this and it's not quite ambient. This is this is not ambient. This is definitely telling us there's a narrative here but it shows you so much with so little that it's like i don't think fotech did anything of note before or after this but this tr song is almost like just an art piece it's like when you look at it you're like damn this guy understands it's like it's like when you see one of those art paintings that's just like a couple of splotches of color but you understand like oh that took a significant amount of talent to understand and unpack and layer this track is like got like four beats in it and he uses them to tell this incredible story with this sample over it. And it's like, I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I really like your description, Shivam, though I, I have to admit that I personally don't really care for this one. But like, <laughs> I, I, yeah, well, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's fine. But the way you described it as like a painting or like a sculpture or something is very is is very apt for me because that's kind of like the sense I get from it. Uh, I, I do like that it's an attempt to apply like the principles of martial arts to song craft, but Personally, I, I already get that kind of thing from the Wu-Tang Clan and Wu-Tang <laughs> feels like watching like a really great, well-directed, visually striking martial arts movie, you know, like Hard Boiled or something like that. Mm. And this is like all technique, like I'm watching like a, a cool martial arts routine on YouTube. And that you know, is exactly there's, it, yeah. there's there's a place for that kind of thing. Like if you're into that, this is really cool, but it's just not personally like what I like to sit down and listen to. But I, I do agree that it comes at a, a good place in the comp, like coming right after like something that pounds you over the head like we have explosive hmm. okay if we're all finished with our martial arts lesson let's move on to track six this is girl boy song by one of the giants of electronic music apex twin Thank you. 
Girl Boy Song was initially released on an EP of the same name in 1996, and it then showed up later that year on the full-length album Richard D. James album, which is actually on the Discord and Rhyme long list. Mike is planning to host an episode on it at some point. Yep. Aphex Twin is the alias of, as you likely guessed, Richard D. James, who was born in Limerick, Ireland, and raised in Cornwall, Wales. And with the possible exception of Goldie, he might be the most bona fide superstar on this entire compilation. Because whereas a lot of electronic musicians prefer to hide behind the mixing board, uh, James has always been very willing to incorporate himself into his own marketing. And it helps that he has like these gorgeous strawberry blonde locks and like kind of these rugged Sean Bean style good looks, though it, it must be said that he al- he almost always filters them through a nightmarish Danny Elfman style full tooth full toothed grin to undercut it a little bit. And he's had the fortune to work with directors like Chris Cunningham, who directed the 10 minute music video for his 1999 single window liquor, which is a pretty hilarious parody of nineties gangster rap music video cliches. And I'll put a link to it in the show description. It's tough to summarize Aphex Twin because his influence is so wide-reaching and such a part of the fabric of contemporary music that like, describing him is kind of like describing air, except in this case, the air is like filled with microscopic particulate bits of metal and cut through with invisible <laughs> sine waves that give you a headache. <laughs> and his music has been cited as an influence on the album's Discovery by Daft Punk and Kid A by Radiohead, which themselves are two incredibly pivotal albums on the overall sound of 21st century electronic and popular music. And while I'm hesitant to place all of that musical development on the shoulders of one man, it's really tough to deny that Aphex Twin is a very major figure in how electronic music got where it is today. Oh my God. Oh my God, girl boy song. This song is the song that changed my life. This is the song that is maybe one of the most important songs I've ever heard for me personally in my personal development. This is one of my favorite songs of all time. And this is the high, this is like the center point high piece of this album. This and the box, which is going to be coming up right after it. So let's start by first off, Aphex Twin. Aphex Twin, Richard D. James, is maybe the greatest techno artist of all time. He is a self-taught electrician. He's a self-taught technician, a self-taught like synth maker. He makes noises by building different boxes to make noises with. His house is so full of tapes of different, like just mixes and bleeps and bloops. And he could release albums for the next 20 years and still have infinite tracks to go through. There's an apocryphal story told by Simon Reynolds, one of the great musical and music interviewer journalists of England, where there was a band that wanted Aphex Twin to do a remix of their album. And Aphex Twin said, okay, I'll take your money, sure, whatever. And he did. And then he promptly forgot about it because he was on drugs and doing other things and making music of his own. And then like weeks later, they're like, hey man, do you have that mix of the track? And he's like, mix of the... Um, And he grabbed a random dat tape off of his staircase (laughs) and just said, here you go. And they were said to love it because it doesn't matter what you think you gave to Aphex Twin. Whatever is going to come out is going to be this weird ambient trash filter run through a garbage disposal of joy. And (laughs) the thing that makes Girl Boy Song such an iconic and epic and beautiful and incredible song is that it is an orchestra. It is not just a song. It is a movement because what it is, is the girl boy part of it refers to the two halves of the song. Uh, 
There's the driving drum and bass, super like rhythm, just chaotic noise underneath the blare. That's the boy, the sledgehammer underneath. And then you've got the girl dancing through, picking flowers in the meadow, going and playing with her dolly over the top of this track while the boy is just running and doing like all this deep industrial heavy music underneath. And the counterplay between the two parts, the melody and the drum, is one of this the most absolutely stunning things I've ever heard in my life. Like I started this show with saying, talking about Indian classical music, because Indian classical music is definitely where there's a singer or a musician on a sitar or a vina or whatever playing a song, a melody, and then there's a tabla player or a mridangam player, drum player, someone with rhythm underneath the track. And they're not necessarily working together. They're working in the same beat structure, but the melody is doing what the melody wants. The tabla player is doing what the tabla player wants, and they will meet up once in a while where the sine curves meet up and they will synchronize, they'll do things together, and then they'll diverge again. But because of the nature of the rhythmic pattern they're in, they will start and end at the same place. So you can dance around and up and down through the beat, and the beat will do what it wants, but that girl is still going to keep flowing through that. And that is the genius of Aphex Twin in this track is that this song leads you on this epic journey because it it lulls you with this little dan, 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 and then just, and you're like, holy crap, what is going on? That's, that's really interesting. I never thought about the song as like kind of the sugar and spice and everything nice interacting with the snakes and snails and puppy dog tails of like the Oh, it is 100%. Group. It is, it is art, this song. And I don't know if you've ever been to Disneyland. But in Disneyland, there's this roller coaster called Space Mountain. And <laughs> <Yes>. Space Mountain <laughs> is this roller coaster that is psychedelic. It's got weird, like, you know, hippie colors and, like, you know, light that shows up in black lights. And it goes down and it's got this weird, it had this weird cowboy kind of, like, happy boppy music, Disney stuff. Well, when I went there in high school, senior year, I had my CD Discman with me. And I had Amp with me. And for some reason that day, Space Mountain was running, but the music was broken. And I was like, the music is broken to the ride. That sucks. Okay, well, I'm just going to throw on my CD and just hit play. I hit play at Girl Boy Song at the top of the Space Mountain, and it took me the entire ride down and was the exact length of the ride. (laughs) And it was goddamn ecstasy. It was just insane. And by the end of it, I rode that ride like seven more times, and it was just seriously like the most like synesthetic joygasm you've ever had because your body's being thrown around. You're being moved. You're in a roller coaster for God's sakes, spinning and spinning. And you're seeing all these psychedelic colors going down and past you. And then there's this dan, 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 and you're, you're like, you're dancing, you're inhibiting the girl, you're inhabiting the girl's track. But that shaking of the roller coaster is going with the drum and bass and you're just losing your mind. You're out of control and you're being dragged to the end of the song. And it is, absolutely stunning i immediately went out and bought the album i've seen apex twin in concert it is just it is like taking a jackhammer to your skull but then filling it with honey and like sugar and you're like i don't know what's going on but this is amazing that's so funny that you just brought up space mountain i literally just talked about that ride in um in in our episode on the police while talking (laughs) about the song synchronicity too which also kind of reminds me of space mountain that's nuts (laughs) that it would come up twice in one month that's synchronicity right there see synchronicity is a great song too man (laughs) two recordings in a row we're talking about space mountain (laughs) yeah seriously let's go for a third but yeah as for apex twin i haven't listened to him that much but that's not out of lack of interest just out of like lack of time and it's really interesting to me like how 
just how influential he is considering once again that his music is super abrasive like (laughs) uh, you don't really hear that so much on this song uh, aside from like you know the boy half of the girl boy like equation that she was just talking about but uh, the the way I've always thought of it is that like the entire Richard D. James album is sort of the kinder friendlier apex twin like the songs are yeah yeah, the songs are generally very light and sprightly and they're mostly between two and four minutes long but the album that came before this one I Care Because You Do it features the song Ventolin which is basically (laughs) a tinnitus simulator and I'm not going to clip that one because I don't want to put our listeners through that experience Apex Twin can get away with whatever they want to get away with man if you've ever listened to like Select Ambient Works 1 or 2 it is just seriously like it is like if somebody was listening to to Pac-Man but then just like broke the board and just started making you go it 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 is almost iconic it's almost like parody of what techno is it's like what people think techno sounds like random bleeps and bloops that have no that are just atonal and arrhythmic but apex twin when you listen to it there is a tone there is a rhythm and you can even catch it if you were willing to try but getting through that first layer is so difficult to do which is why Girl Boy Song is maybe the best possible intro you can have to FX Win, because it gently leads you into the madness <laughs> before sticking your hand in the dishwasher. <laughs> but even when he does show his more abrasive side, like that, it really gets through to people because, like, oh, yeah. this is super influential music. And, like, oh, yeah. I don't know what that says to me is, like, you know, this isn't the kind of music that tops the charts, but it's still important that art like this exists because other artists listen to it. And that's what ends up moving the needle and inspiring new movements. Like, 100%. I, I almost never listen to FX Twin, but I can just hear echoes of his work and just so much of the music I enjoy. He is just part of the tapestry of popular music now. Aphex Twin is your favorite band's favorite band. Yeah. It's like not everybody, it's like not everybody is going to listen to Carline Stockhausen, but the Beatles were listening to him. Mm-hmm. And that made all the difference. Yeah. And even then, like the Beatles had like really had a really abrasive side too. And yeah, and that's again what ended up moving the needle. But I don't know. I, I've been talking long enough. Mike, talk about Aphex Twin to me. Uh, Aphex Twin is probably my favorite artist on this compilation it's i just love whenever just a, a genuine eccentric weirdo becomes so famous and influential <laughs> apex is just uh, there's nobody like this guy not at all his music because he's such a weirdo he of course he was one of the first electronic artists i got into but this was the first time you know i'd ever heard somebody chop up a drum break so t- for the the slices to be so small that you're you're getting into the audio range where it's mm-hmm. like the, the the drum rolls are producing a tone like it's just completely insane ideas and the fact that you know a song like girl boy song is basically two songs going on at the same time it basically two parts of the apex twin personality there's the part of them who can create just honestly beautiful music there then there's the part of him that's you know a mischief maker and wants to create just really messed up sounds and he's slamming both of those halves together i really like that this song is the one that made it on here because not too long afterwards he would come out with come to daddy That song had that absolutely terrifying video, mm-hmm. and that became what people associated with him. I think a lot of people probably saw that and thought he was this, like, scary Psycho. industrial guy. And really, it was just sort of this, you know, joke death metal song that sounds really nothing like anything else 
he's done. This is much more uh, representative of of the sort of thing he does. So I'm I'm glad that this compilation came out when it did because it's a, a really interesting moment. I mean, the thing is about Apex Twin. It's interesting you bring up that notion of how he separated drum beats because earlier techno would take full samples and then layer tracks on top of it. Aphex Twin was the first of what I would consider modern techno, where they're not just taking samples, but they're taking individual sounds, individual, like, you're like, oh, I'm not just taking that that drum, like, beat, I'm just taking that drum hit, and I'm taking that, like, half of that hit, just like the, like, just when you listen to some of the drums of the in drum there, hit. it's like, yeah. you can hear, like, the first part of the thing, but then, like, when you listen to a snare drum hit, you've got the full sound, like, thump, and there's this echo that comes after it, and he just takes it and cuts out that tailing part, like, you could tell that this dude was basically sitting deep in audacity or something and like looking at waveforms to where to slice these songs to put these things together. And that kind of usage of the art to make it like fully like there's no way a human could play this live levels of techno was just artistry. And Rich, you were saying earlier that this guy is like one of the most influential people. It's funny because like one of the people he influenced was Tom York of Radiohead, whose album Kid A. Oh, oh, yeah. I mentioned Kid A earlier. And yeah, it's true. That album confused a lot of critics and a lot of listeners at the time. But in retrospect, it was a huge turning point for rock artists incorporating electronic elements into their music. And you can hear tons of Aphex Twin influence on that album, especially the song Idiotech. Okay, let's finish up this set with another one of the definitive electronic acts of the 90s. This is Orbital with The Box. Orbital are, you guessed it, an English electronic music duo. In the run-up to this recording, Mike told me that he always thought a good name for an electronic act would be Two Guys from the UK. <laughs> Especially if it's like four dudes from America or Japan or something. Yeah, you just have more cred if you're called Two Guys from the UK. So this time around, the group is a family affair consisting of brothers Phil and Paul Hartnell, who both grew up in Dartford, Kent, England. So Orbital first made waves with the single Chime, which, according to Paul Hartnell, was recorded in, quote, a knock-through stair cupboard that my dad set up as a home office, end quote. (laughs) 
and the single hit number 17 on the UK charts. But the band's big break came when they played the 1994 Glastonbury Festival, which aired on the UK's Channel 4 and exposed their music to a huge audience. Now, electronic music has a kind of a reputation for being very live, unfriendly, but Orbital's music had an arena-sized breadth and scope, and their performances incorporated an improvisational element that kept things really loose and interesting, with the brothers mixing and sequencing their tracks on the fly. And there's a compilation of a bunch of their Glastonbury performances on YouTube that I'll link to in the show description. Now, The Box comes from their excellent 1996 album, Insides, where it's split into two six-minute parts, but the full single release of The Box is 28 minutes and four parts long, and it's apparently based on a recurring dream that Paul Hartnell would have, where he'd see a mysterious wooden box in the Welsh countryside, but every time he tried to open it, it, he would just wake up, and I hate when that happens. (laughs) Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I love Orbital so much. Oh, Okay, so I have seen Orbital Live twice. I saw them first in like 1998 in concert with Crystal Method and Low Fidelity All-Stars. Low Fidelity All-Stars, of course, sang the amazing song Battle Flag, which was one of the radio hits of the techno era. And dude, Orbital Live was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. It was just like... Because they know how to orchestrate their songs. They played them live because they had keyboards, they had synths, they had all the samplers and the big banks of machines. And they would have like the, the these two little like flashlights on their heads that they would be waving around as part of like their headbands and stuff to look down and be able to actually see their um, keyboards, but also to make them look like giant alien men out there. Back around the same time, like Daft Punk was doing their shtick. Um, Orbital showed up in America's Zeitgeist first off in the movie Hackers with the song... Um, Halcyon and on and on and on, which is one of the greatest techno songs of all time. And the song that got me into them, because I love that song. I love that kind of airy breathiness. My friend gave me this album, Insights. Insights had the box on it, and that's the reason I picked up Amp. So the box being on here is like one of those just moments for me of music. Now, it is another sonic art piece. It is definitely starts off quiet, starts off slow. It's got the creakiness of this big wooden box. You can see the image in your head as they're going up. And it's just this piano. And it's just uh, the counterpoint. It raises your tension. It raises your blood pressure. It makes you just kind of like sitting on the edge of your seat. It's almost like you're watching a suspenseful movie in your mind as you're going through this track. It feels like one of those 1960s or 70s Swedish kind of like detective or horror movies where you're in this big murder mansion and somebody has died and you're just creaking along on these old wooden floors because you can hear that box kind of creeping. And everywhere you look around, you see bookcases and you see dust, but there's footsteps. So you're following the footsteps and you might see the murderer, but it's Swedish. So you're not going to because you're not going to find anything in there in the end. But man, this song just, it is mind blowing. It is joyful. It is and the live version, the full 28-minute long one with the singing and the 
whole different movement. Oh God, I love this song so much. Mm. It's hard for me to talk objectively about this because this is one of the greatest songs I've ever heard. Yeah, I wish I'd gotten the chance to see Orbital live because I, 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 I've actually not gotten a chance to see much of any electronic music live. And I think the one instance of that is that Mike and I went to go see Amon Tobin, I think, at, a, at Bimbo's 365 Club in San Francisco. Oh my God, yeah. I wish I could have seen I love Amon Tobin so much. He was he was good, but his his performing style is very much like a guy at a mixing board. So, and it sounds yeah. like Orbital does something a lot, like, you know, just more, just they put more on than involved the audience. They put on a show, yeah. And Underworld is the same sort of thing. Yeah, they have like videos. They have like um, a multimedia whole presentation. They've got laser lights. They've got everything. I saw them again in concert after they'd broken up and reunited. And it was still like they did a track called The Saint for the movie The Saint, which is just absolutely epic. And then they did a remix of that called Satan. And that song itself was just super, super good. And then Kirk Hammett of Metallica, which is one of my favorite bands of all time, decided to join up and do a remix of that for the Spawn soundtrack because that's <laughs> what you did in the days. And that song is killer. Oh my God, it's so good. So I actually learned about Orbital because uh, you, Shivam, you were raving about them on Twitter or on the gaming <laughs> forum that we post on or somewhere. It was you, though. It was definitely you who introduced me to them. I believe so it. So I have trouble differentiating their songs from one another, but that is not Orbital's fault at all. It's because I got into them while I was in grad school during the 2016 election cycle. And my strategy <laughs> for drowning out the news while studying was that I would just listen to their first five albums in basically a nonstop loop, you know, until time became a loop. Time became yeah, a loop. Time became a loop. Uh, but like despite associating them like very strongly with, you know, like the collapse of civil society, I, I love them so much. And they're probably my favorite band on the comp behind Underworld. Like their, their music just feels really big to me. Mm. Uh, th th their songs average out at about seven minutes, but it never, ever feels repetitive. They just paint their songs on like a really broad canvas and take you on a journey. And yet you, you mentioned Halcyon and on and on. And that song is a really great example of what they do. It's like you're watching a song that's in like widescreen, except that the screen just keeps going on. It just never <laughs> right. ends. And as for the Insides oh. album, which the box comes from, one thing I love about it is that the drums on it, that they're almost all live drums performed by their friend Clune in like a variety of styles and recorded apparently on about 50 microphones uh, so even though the album has like the feel of electronic music there's like this really earthy sounding floor beneath all of the songs and uh, I, I haven't thought much about which orbital album is my favorite because like i said their 90s albums are all just kind of a blur to me but that one's definitely a great one to start with it's really good never listened to a, a ton of Orbital, but I've always really liked the Insides album. I, th I think it's terrific. And I was just listening to it earlier today after not listening to it for years, and it holds up really well. And I think part of that is that there's absolutely nothing trendy about it. Like there's nothing on there that everybody else was doing. It's all their ideas. And, you know, the, the synth tones and, and what have you are all you know, they're all vintage keyboards and things. You have the live drums. Uh, it's It's got its own sound. And it's it's the furthest thing from raver music. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds more like movie soundtrack music. 
than anything you'd hear on a dance floor. Yeah, it feels like classical music almost. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely orchestrated. And I, I mm-hmm. love that the box is the orbital song on this compilation because it's so experimental is is too strong a word, but it's it is so uh, not dance music. This is like the point in the compilation where you've stopped dancing and you're just kind of standing Vibing, there and yeah. listening to it. Yeah. With regard to uh, the song Halcyon and on and on, I've always really liked there's a live version yes. of that song that that's that was on a, a bonus disc that that comes with insides. And halfway through the song cuts out and they start <laughs> playing the, the intro. <laughs> they start playing You Give Love a Bad Name. And Oh my god, dude. They the, the beat comes back in and over that they start playing Heaven is a Place on Earth. And then they play Heaven is a Place on Earth backwards. Yeah. And then it just gets wild. Yeah. And before we move on, I feel like we have to mention the music video for The Box, which stars Tilda Swinton. Oh, yes. So they clearly like directed her to move incredibly slowly, like a centimeter at a time. But then they like they sped the the video up to normal speed. So like the effect is that it looks like she's moving in stop motion while the cityscape around her is moving in time lapse. And it's just it's such a cool idea. Like I recommend watching it. I'll put a link in the show description. It is the most Tilda Swinton you could get. (laughs) That's if you need somebody to do that in your music video, you get Tilda Swinton. Yeah, it especially helps that it's Tilda Swinton because like a, because she has like this ghostly pallor and she she's her face is really good for like moving like a zombie through a cityscape that's like moving at light speed around her. Yeah, this song is, in my opinion, like like these guys who put this compilation together did such a good job with they start you off. They lead you in with a hook of like, oh, it's a Chemical Brothers. Here's a Chemical Brothers song. Oh, here's some more dancey songs. Here's Pearl's Girl. Here's you know, F's all. And then they just drop. And they're like, okay, now you're now that you're in and you can't go anywhere, we're going to sit you down in this chair and you're going to listen. So between mm. Nita you Girl Boy Song, The Box, and like the next track, We All Want to Be Free, you've got this whole just dark descent into just kind of this much calmer space, this much quieter, more minimalist space, more like just evocative. It's got a rhythm so you can bop, but it's not a dance. It's not a rave. It's trying to break the stereotypes of what people thought techno music in 1997 was. And it's just like the box is both the apex and the nadir of the album in terms of like atmospheric. It is dark. It is quiet. It is paced. It is orchestrated. It is not like repetitive. There's no chunk of that song that's like that you could take the sample from the beginning and put it in the end and have it just seamlessly flow. It's not like a generic techno song. Yes, it's got like loops and stuff in there, but they're on such a time scale that it feels more like motifs and less like just loops being put in. Your uh, cue to call it a movie soundtrack was very, very good. It feels like it was made to be set to some visual, right? Like it's made to be, a, it's, it is a background story song. It's a story piece. 
But God, it's such a phenomenal album. I mean, if you guys ever decide you want to do the Orbital albums, please let me know because boy, howdy, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll definitely invite you. Electronica is like tougher to talk about on the track by track basis, but you know, yeah, if you're album by willing album, to dude. do the challenge, yeah, like Chime, for instance, such a good song. All right, so we are just over the halfway mark of MTV's AMP, so I think it's time to call it a day for this episode. That was a lot of British people. So join <laughs> us next time as we cover the final six songs on the compilation, which is where they stuck all of the Americans and some Germans to. So let's roll some credits. What do you call this record with all these songs? This is Comp. Thank you for listening to the longest edition yet of This Is Comp, a subsidiary of the Discord and Rhyme podcast. You can hear back episodes of this series and our regular album-focused episodes at discordpod.com. And you can also subscribe to Discord and Rhyme on your podcast app of choice. This closing theme is performed by Kenneth Crayley and is based on the song This Is Pop by XTC, originally written by Andy Partridge. Editing and production is by me, Rich Bunnell. We'll be back with the second and final installment of the series in two weeks. And in the meantime, keep as cool as you can and try not to clench your teeth too much in anticipation. It's bad for your jaw. Bye. Good tea. Nice house.